Thank you so much for coming. Welcome to the first snow of the year. <laughs> I love snow. I, I, ever since I've been a kid, I had neighbors and they had a lot of junk in their yard. And uh, I mean, cars and trucks and all. It was, you know. And they always had dogs tied to trees and the chain drug all the grass away and it was just dirt. But when it was snow, everything was beautiful. It was just like, I always loved it when God painted everything white and even an old rusty junk truck on blocks looks really nice. So, uh, so this is nice. And uh, um, I always think it was poured, poured out his spirit upon all flesh. It was like, it's kind of a visible manifestation. You know, I like examples like that. And so uh, this is a special day because we, we had a, a, just a very sweet, precious time in the first service. And in this one, we're going to dedicate two magnificent children, Declan and Elizabeth. And so uh, we welcome their family and friends and grandparents and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and the whole crew. And, and that's just magnificent. And it's an honor to to be with you and to all of the precious people that follow us online. And uh, Mary, Mary Liston. Mary Liston is married to my nephew, Jaden. They tell me you watch this thing faithfully every week. So I was humbled when I heard that. But I know you're carrying your sixth child. God's blessed you and you have just moved and it's a couple miles. Listen to me. If going to the Wellsburg Church poses any hardship to you, I will personally send Jaden a gas card every month in order for you to go. So you tell your husband that, right? God's blessed you and I want to see those children raised in an apostolic church. And so Brother Waldbrun, Brother Waldbrun is a wonderful man. Go to that Wellsburg Church and uh, you won't regret it. Will you stand with me, please? Genesis 12 and verse 2, 17 and 20, 21 and 18, 46 and 3. Here's 12 and 2. I will make of thee a great, this is the Lord speaking to Abraham. I will make of thee a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. This is what God said to Ishmael, 17 and 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. This is to Isaac in 21 and 18. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him in thy hand, for I will make him a great nation. And finally, this was to Jacob in chapter 46. I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. 
My subject today is an amazing couple in a messed up world. God bless you. You may be seated. Four times God repeated this promise to these men. Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, and Jacob. I will make of you a great nation. The world was young back then. And so it was so young that a child could, and in many instances did become, a nation. Think of the word Israel. The word Israel is a very expandable, elastic word. Um, I, I, I was always fascinated with Joseph. When you, when you study the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, there's five words. He made the stars also. Five words dedicated to stars. So tell me how big of a deal Joseph is. When starting in chapter 37 through 50, there are 13 chapters dedicated to Joseph. You say, yeah, but that's 14 chapters. I understand that. However, there's one chapter out of sync, and that's chapter 38, which is the story of Joseph's brother Judah. has nothing to do with Joseph. But 37, 39, 40, 40 through 50, 13 of those final 14 chapters in Genesis are dedicated to Joseph. Joseph, I believe, is the greatest Old Testament type and example of Jesus Christ. Sold into slavery. So many pieces of silver, on and on. So many, there's so many parallels. It's, it's amazing. When you think of the tabernacle of Moses and you study Exodus, 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, starting in 25, through 40. The whole thing is about the lot. There's a lot of people who have no idea what the tabernacle of Moses is, but there, there are 15 chapters dedicated to that subject. So if God gave five words to stars and, and gives 13 chapters to Joseph, I, 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 I think it's, it's a big deal. And when you study chapter 37 of Joseph, it'll say, these are the sons of Jacob. That's how the chapter begins. But in just in, in, I, 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 off the top of my head, I think it's verse 4. But it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his brothers. And if you're familiar with your Bible, it's the same guy. Jacob is Israel. He wrestled with an angel. You know, the word Jacob means, I mean, who, who calls their boy a liar? But really, that's what the word Jacob means, deceiver. And this angel says, what's your name? Now, my mental model of an angel is they're pretty smart characters. I can't imagine an angel wrestling with someone and going, boy, I hope I got the right guy. Hey, what's your name anyway? That's not what it is. When he said, what's your name? I think it's, it's, a, it's a confession. I think the angel's saying, who are you? And he said, I'm not an honest man. I'm a, I'm a deceiver. Add a boy, now I could do something with you. And he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which means power with God and influence with man. And so for a while, the word Israel is a man. But you know your Bible, Jacob's got 12 boys. Those boys become extended families of their own, and those families are known as tribes. 
So you have the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 extended families of Jacob. But later on in the Bible, Israel is not a man. It is a nation. One guy, just as God promised, became a nation. And, you know, you've got First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. If you study that, it'll say, now this guy was the king of Judah. The next chapter will say, this was the king of Israel. And then it goes, this was the king of Judah. And it hopscotches all the way through that. And that's why those 12 tribes, they divided. Ten of the northern tribes kept the name Israel. They went into captivity first. The two southern tribes became Judah. But, but what I'm trying to show you is that word, that word Israel, it, it, it expands. And um, uh, this, this promise keeps coming up again and again. I am going to make you, and in most instances it was a child, I'm going to make you a great nation. I believe the thing will come full circle. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. At the, at, the, at the last book in the Bible, in Revelation 5, this is what it says. And they sung a new song. Who's the they? It's the church. The church. I've heard people say, well, uh, when Jesus was born, the angels sang. It doesn't say that. It said, when Jesus was born, the angels said, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I, I, it's conjecture on my part, but I've heard people talk about uh, Michael the Archangel. It's not Arch, it's Arch, A-R-C-H. Just like there's a bishop and there's an archbishop, there are angels and there are archangels. In the Bible, there are three archangels, Lucifer, Michael, Gabriel. It appears they were divided into thirds. Because it says in Revelation 12 that when Lucifer fell, he took a third of the stars with him. In Revelation 1 and 20, it said the stars are the angels. I believe that, that heaven's angelic host was divided into thirds. A third were under Lucifer. A third were under Gabriel. A third were under Michael. Every time you read about Michael, he's in a battle. Four times in the Bible he's mentioned. Every time he's in a fight, he's a warrior. Then you have Gabriel. Every time Gabriel is mentioned, he has a message. He's bringing word. When you deal with Lucifer, it appears to me Lucifer was the choir director. And uh, talks about the anointed cherub that covered his tabrets and his pipes. Um, I, don't, I don't have time to get sidetracked with all of this, but... Um, I, I, I am convinced that uh, when Lucifer left, he took his choir with him. This is why in church, about 90% of your problems happen on a platform. In most churches, not in this one, thank God. I'm, I'm not bragging, I'm grateful. But uh, <clears throat> we have an amazing worship team and I, I, I have such respect for Draylen and Kelsey and all of that they've done. I tell Draylen again and again, I deserve you. <laughs> uh, after all that I've been through, through the years, I deserve you. 
and, and God's blessed us with Draylen and Kelsey and their family and, you know, with Harold, wife, and the whole, just been amazing. Glenn, whatever, I like Harold, because, and uh, <laughs> so when it says, they sang a new song, I, th- I think this is why Satan fights apostolic music so much, because we've taken his place. And I think anybody that's in worship and music, I think he had a, I remember, they, they used to have a comic strip called The Far Side. And it was two deer. And one of them had a big bullseye on his chest. And he said, bummer of a birthmark, dude. Bummer of a birthmark. And it was just, I believe people that are involved in music and worship have a giant bullseye on their chest. I think Satan especially hates those people. And does everything he can to, 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 Divide and conquer. And so Revelation 5 is a big deal because heaven's going to get her choir back. That's right. yeah. That's right. And they sung a new song. And, and, and it says, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou, hast, thou wast slain, watch, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. I, th- I think the nations will come together again in the New Jerusalem. I remember when Renee and I were in Okinawa, just 1981. Um, we'd just been married a couple months, but Nina, her name was Okudada at that time, Mina Mori, she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Mina couldn't speak in Japanese or English for three days. She was, she, it was an amazing baptism that she had. But when we contacted the missions department in St. Louis and told them about Mina, Brother Judd, who his son is now the president of Tupelo Children's Mansion, Edwin Judd was just an amazing guy. He, He told me, he said, to our knowledge, Harold, Mina is the very first native Okinawan to ever have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And it made that scripture come alive to me. There'll be somebody from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every nation. I saw that happen. Now, there's a powerful church in Okinawa. And there's many independent churches there. But back then, there was just one. And all of these places where Renee and I taught Bible studies are now independent churches. And the goal is to have, you got to understand, Okinawa is 60 miles long, 12 miles wide. Their goal is to have 100 churches on the island of Okinawa. And so um, they'll do it. They'll do it. But he's going to have somebody from every tribe and every nation. And they're going to come together. And, and the, uh, we will never, we will never be successful as a, as a church if we don't view children the same way. This church was born we, we, some churches are, have horrible beginnings. Um, not this one. This church was birthed by a precious older man and his wife, Carl and Mary Hill. I wish you could have known them. They were, they were amazing people. They were in their 50s, and they had a burden to start a church. And so they started a church in, in Madison Heights, 
And they said, we're gonna, we're, it's going to be a Sunday school. We're just going to have children because we know they're not going to stay children forever. And they're going to grow up. And that's where our married couples are going to come from. And that was the, that was the genesis of this church. And um, I'm, I, I don't want to let all the cats out of the bag. But as we go into the next couple months, um, you know, the, the, what excites me about the new building and everything that we have planned, what you're sitting in now will be the children's center. Every, every, all of these rooms will be redone. The offices will be gone, fellowship hall, gone, just all, all of this. It will all stream into here. This is where our next generation, next gen will meet. This, this is where our young people, this is where our Sunday school, this is where all this, all this will happen. This will be the hub of that. I remember when we moved into this building and we had just a small group of people. And I've, I've told this story again and again, standing back there in the mud where the, where the sound booth was. And, and just this horrendous fear came over me. It just uh, there, there was no floor. It was all mud. And, and, and we had poured spread straw everywhere so we didn't sink in the mud too bad. And these, these one here, there were six Beams. There was just a, a roof on it. There were no walls. The wind was blowing through, and I was standing back there in the mud. And, and this fear came over me and said, my God, how are, how are you ever going to fill this up? How are you ever going to pay for this thing? And, and I, I, it, it scared me. But now, you know, we're doing multiple services, and the thing's paid off, and and we don't owe anybody a dime, and we've got a vision to do something else, and that this, that, that this. Oh, Jesus. I remember when we first moved in, we just filled, half filled these two banks of pews. There, nobody here, nobody there, just half filled this. And it was like, how am I gonna, how are we gonna do this? But, 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 but God was in it, and, and, and it's exciting to me that to be able to live long enough to see what terrified me before is just going to be the place for the children. Yeah. And, and it's just, uh, <laughs> Jesus, man. Oh, man, I just, I, I, I just, what I'm saying is we can never lose that value in this church. We have to view it as you don't have any idea who you're talking to. You might be talking to a nation. You, you, this, this could be the president. This could be the governor. This could be the next senator. This could be an amazing mother. This could be a wonderful daddy. We don't know who we're, they're just toe-headed kids running around here right now. And I remember years ago, someone got mad because the kids were writing on the walls and the bathrooms were a challenge to keep clean, and 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 I met, they were they were just furious, and and I have more respect for the house of God than that. And I said, well, we can fix all that. We'll just say no kids. You can't have no kids here. We'll just get rid of all the kids, and uh, and obviously we're going to have to get rid of the young parents that are with those kids. So yeah, we can we can have a church without any writing on the wall and no kids peeing on the floors, but uh, it'll smell better, but it'll stink as far as I'm concerned. Because there's no, it, it doesn't work. You, you, get, you get your strength from your elders, but you get your life from your young people. And, 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 and it's, it, it, you know, 
Let me see your hand if, if you know who Edwin Everett was. Is there anybody in this room? Nobody in the first service knew. Is, is anybody in this room know who Edwin Everett is? Didn't think so. Edwin Everett was considered one of the greatest orators in America in the mid-1800s. Edwin Everett was the featured speaker at the dedication of the cemetery in Gettysburg. Lincoln wasn't the featured speaker. If you go to the Smithsonian, Lincoln's notes still exist, and they're kind of, you can see where he crossed out things. He really wrote them on the back of a horse, riding from Washington, D.C. to Pennsylvania to dedicate the. Edwin Everett spoke for over two hours. And oh, by the way, we just have to have the present here. Would you come up and say something? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Lincoln spoke for less than five minutes. Nobody remembers Edwin Everett. But kids in school, I hope, are still memorizing the Gettysburg Address. Listen to the line, conceived in liberty and dedicated. See, something has to be conceived before it's born. And, and, and in Mark chapter 9, they're fussing. They're just fussing. All of a sudden, they get to where they're going, and she said, Hey, what were you guys talking about while we were getting... Mm-hmm. He said, let me, let me refresh your mind. You wanted to know who was going to be the greatest. He said, let me give you a little Bible lesson. And this is what it says. He took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me but him that sent me. I think what he's saying is, don't tell me you love me and you don't love children. Because your love for children is is a litmus test. It's an indicator of how deep and how mature your love is for me. My wife and I were talking about a king this week, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is is considered to be a great king. His mother uh, was the daughter. If you you know the book, little book in the Old Testament, Zechariah. That was that was his father-in-law, and he 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 came to the throne when he was twenty-five years old, and he 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 had seen Assyria invade the northern tribes of Israel, and. It scared him, slapped to death. He was a young man. He made massive changes in Judah. Cleansed the temple, got rid of all kinds of idolatry and things that were going on. And the Bible said he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the king of Assyria died, but his boy follows him. And he's a very famous man, not just in the Bible, but in history. His name is Sennacherib. Sennacherib came and tried to do to Judah what he had done to Israel, and he laid siege to the city. It's a fascinating story because the Bible said in one night, one angel killed 
185,000 soldiers in one night. I, 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 I'm not a big football fan, but I would like to go to the Ohio State Michigan football game for one reason. I'd like to hear 120 people screaming that loud. I've heard it sounds like a volcano. And it reminds me of a verse that said, the voice, it was like the voice of many waters. It's like Niagara. I, I can't imagine 185,000 people dying in one night with just one angel. And he's got cabillions of them. Angels, that is. It, 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 was, it was the most humiliating defeat in the history of warfare. And, and, and it was because Hezekiah had pleased the Lord with what he had done. And right after this, he got sick. And, and, and the prophet Isaiah came to him and said, get your house in order. You're going to die. And he said, I don't want to die. And so he prayed and prayed and prayed and besought the Lord. See, we think the answer to prayer is always yes. When God gives me what I want him to give me, God answered my prayer. I know it's country western, but I'm a hillbilly kid. Garth Brooks wrote a song years ago called, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. It's a story about meeting his old high school girlfriend 30 years later. And it's like, man, I'm glad, glad God didn't answer that one. Wow. That would have been a nightmare. You know? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. There's a scripture in Thessalonians that said, because they receive not a love of the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they believe a lie and be damned. That's, 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 that's a, what it's saying is, if you want to do what's wrong bad enough, God will help you. He'll send you delusion. I, 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 I had a very amazing preacher in my life one time, and he said, I pray all the time that I won't be deceived. And I said, why? And he said, because you'll never know. And it was so profound, but it was so important for that. And Hezekiah, he said, I don't want to die, God. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I said, okay, I'll let you live. And, and, and Hezekiah gets with, with the prophet and he said, I, I, I believe God's going to let me live. And I'll tell you how I know. He's going to make the shadow of the sun go backwards 10 degrees. And it happened. However, this is what Isaiah told him after that. Behold, the days come that all that is in thy house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, you read the book of Matthew, it said there, there are eunuchs who do it by choice. There are others who are made eunuchs. This is a horrible verse. This is talking about castration. This, is, this was the king of Babylon ensuring that none of these men could have children that would grow up to take revenge upon them. Listen to Hezekiah's response after Isaiah prophesied. Then said Hezekiah, Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good, 
is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? He said, look, all your kids are going into captivity. You're not going to have any grandkids. They won't be able to have grandkids. They're all going to be taken into Babylon. And, and Hezekiah said, so what? We're going to have peace while I'm alive. Everything's good. Because he couldn't care about tomorrow. He only cared about right then. He, you know, in, in, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not kill. But that's not what it says in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it says, thou shalt not commit murder. Because there's a lot of difference between murder and manslaughter. And if you happen to be in a situation and someone died and you, you had no ill intent, it just happened, you could run to a place called the City of Refuge. I found a verse this week. It's in Deuteronomy 19. Let me read it to you. Thou shalt prepare a way and divide the coast of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. There were six cities of refuge, three in the north, three in the south, depending on where you are. If you, someone died. Because even to this day in that, those nations, they have the, a blood oath. Even, even, even the law enforcement people know. You kill someone in their family and basically you, you got 24 hours. The family's got 24 hours to take retribution on you. And it's very similar even in this time. Run. Someone dies, you run. Leave your chariot in the middle of the intersection. Take off. Get to the city of refuge. But I didn't know what this meant. And I began to do my homework and found out that once a year, God told the priest and all of the ministers, I want you to take this time and I want you to repair the roads, which I wish they lived in Michigan. Uh, I think the state tree of Michigan should be an orange barrel. Um, if you want to make money, buy an orange barrel company. Because they don't sell them, they just lease them. I saw someone took out five of them this week, like Don. Boom, 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 boom. And I was like, hello, I need five new barrels. It's like the goose that lays the gold egg, but it's, it's an orange egg. Okay? And it's just... <laughs> Once a year, I want you to... But it wasn't just fixing all the roads. It was very specific roads. There were six roads that led to the cities of refuge. And God said, every year, I want the ministry to repair the roads... So that when someone's running for their life, they don't trip over anything. I think as parents, it's a great lesson that we do everything we can to prepare the road for our children. So that they don't stumble over stupid stuff that we left in their way. There's, there's, a, there's a verse. I know this is Old Testament. But it said we're built up. Don't buy into this baloney where these preachers say, oh, that Old Testament, that, that, that's, that's before the cross. We don't ever need to listen to that. Really? I think it's still appropriate not to lie. That's an Old Testament concept. I think it's still appropriate not to steal somebody else's stuff. I was in Home Depot, my second home this week. And, and I'm talking to one of the people. They're not even allowed to to stop somebody that's brazenly shoplifting. 
You know what they're doing now at Christmas? They're, taking, they're putting all these tools behind these cages. They're taking, why they did it? They took razor knives and they'd cut open the box and steal the, the drill or the whatever and leave the box with all those security tags and then just stick the drill. And it's just, they were told, don't stop them because someone could get hurt or someone could get sued, blah, blah, blah. So you and I pay for all that stuff. I remember asking these kids a couple years ago, if, if, if you could vote, who would you vote? I'd vote for Bernie Sanders. I said, why? Because he's going to pay off my student loans. He said, no, he isn't stupid. I'm going to pay off your student loans, not Bernie. It's just all this. And so I, 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 I see this, this crazy stuff going on. And I, it's like, whoa, whoa here. It's just. You know, you know, there's a Bible verse. It's in, it's in Deuteronomy. Built upon the foundation and the prophets. That's our foundation. If you bring an abomination into your house, your whole house becomes an abomination. Remember Achan? It wasn't what Achan did in the temple that got him in trouble. It's what he did in his tent that got him in trouble. I remember reading my, my teenage daughter's journal uh, several years ago. Oh, is she mad. That's mine. This is my room. You're not, whoa, 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 whoa. This is my house. That's not your room. That's my room. I'm letting you stay there. If you're, you know, you're old or single and you don't like that, rebel. Get a job. Get your own apartment. Quit living with mom and dad. Let mom do your underwear. Just a thought. It's just, be careful, because what you, what you tolerate in moderation in your life will have to be excused in excess in your children. If you, if you gamble away your credibility, you can't look at them and say, I told you to stop. Well, you can say all you want, but I know what you did. I know who you are. That, 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 that's, that's, that's vital that you understand that. And it's just, <coughs> there are going to be times you're going to tell your kids, no, you can't go to that house. No, you can't have that relationship. No. We, we, there's too many parents, they want to be their kids' pals. Your job is not to be their pal. We're going to dedicate children here today. But listen to me, it's all a myth. It's called christening in the Christian world. We're going we're gonna to dedicate the kids and then we can act like fools and have the morals of a roach. But the kids were dedicated. We're not dedicating children today. We're dedicating ourselves to God for the children. These kids have no idea what's going on. We're here to dedicate. It's children's dedication. It's really parents, pastor, church dedication. That's what this really is all about. And, and I... I I, I, I read this story one time that fascinated me. It was a, a, a husband and his wife. His name was Milton. Her name was Elizabeth. They, they, they found this orphan on the streets of Philadelphia. They took, them, took this boy into their house. This is Milton and Elizabeth Hershey. If, if, if that name sounds familiar, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, with almonds or without, whatever. Hershey Chocolate Company. 
Hershey, Pennsylvania. Milton and Elizabeth could not have children. And they took the, they didn't legally adopt them, but along with hundreds of other kids. Elizabeth said something powerful one time. She said, I feel that our job in life is to relieve the oppression of depression. Because the Great Depression is going on right now. And I remember when we bought the property over here to the north of us. I, I, this is second service, so I can be a little bit longer. Uh, uh, the, the doctor beside of us, that's, that's an acre and a third. He paid $895,000 for an acre and a third. Kate Bartell had about six and a half acres, and I wanted to buy it from her. And she took me into her house, and she showed me three signed contracts for, at that time, $3 million for the land. These men told me, all I have to do is sign this contract. I can stay in my house until I die. Why should I sell the land to you? I said, well, Kate, I think we got enough condominiums where you can hear the neighbor's toilet flush. And I think if you'll sell this to me, I promise you I won't sell it. And long after you're dead, you'll be affecting children. And it's stunder. And she said, that is, that's a powerful argument, right? Okay, I'll give you first right of refusal. I said, would you put that in writing? She said, no, my word's good enough. Just days later, her daughter, Barbara, it's a Saturday, her daughter, Barbara, I was at the office, she came and she said, I want you to know, mother had a stroke last night. She won't live through the weekend. She liked you. I just thought you'd like to know. And I'm thinking, I got nothing in writing. It's gone. Early the next morning, I was here studying before church. Barbara walks into my office and she says, who in a blankety, blankety blank are you? And she was like her mom. Kate could cuss. Oh, her mom could cuss. It was like, man, there's, there's mechanics around here. Don't talk like that, you know. I mean, man, could this woman cuss. And she'd always say, excuse the French, Reverend. And I didn't know I was bilingual because I could understand every word she said. <laughs> Same words my grandpa used to say. And it was just, and, and I said, why? She said, my mom woke out of a coma last night, sat up in the bed, grabbed me by my blouse and said, sell the land to the preacher for 100000 and died. And she said, who are you? And she said, you know, there's nothing in writing. I don't have to sell that land to you. And I said, I know, but I think you're going to. And she said, why? I said, I got this sneaking suspicion your mom was worth a lot of money. And you're the only child. I think you're going to inherit a boatload of money. And she grinned and she said, you have no idea, Reverend. Now, you got to understand, there's a hole in the kitchen that big. I could see the ground. She had 18 cats. She lived on Social Security her husband died when she, was, when, in 19, when she was 35 years old. Her husband died. She's got one little infant daughter. All she has is Social Security. When Kate Bartell died, she was worth $9.5 million. She, parla- she had Apple stock. She had Intel. <laughs> she had Coca-Cola. She, the whole deal. This little old shriveled lady up here turned 
Social Security in the nine and a half million bucks. We get the land. It's all weeds. It's got five little outbuildings. I'm with my dad. We opened, they're just little, little barns kind of, not really barns, just sheds. I open, we pry open the one door and out falls cardboard cylinders from toilet paper, but there's no toilet paper. All it is is the cardboard cylinders. Thousands of them. And they just fall out of there, man. We go to the next one and pull it open. From the floor to the ceiling, it's styrofoam egg cartons. Thousands of them. We go to the next shed, I pull it open. It's from the floor to the ceiling, it's full of wood, but there's not one piece of wood more than 16 inches long. Just scraps. And I looked at my dad and I said, do you have any idea what this is? What, what? And he said, oh, it makes perfect sense. I said, it does? He said, depression. He said, she went through the Great Depression, Harold. He said, you spend money like water. But he said, if you went through the Depression, you wouldn't spend money like you do. See, my dad, you know, we, we, we pay daddy and mother $1,000 a month to clean and, and do the grass and buy all the stuff. And it was, it was the best deal any preacher ever got in his life. And I found out later on, my dad never took the money. He always, we don't, finally, when he backs away, we said, okay, uh, uh, let's get some toilet paper. Where do we get the toilet? We don't know. Harry always did that. Where, where, do, where do we get the paper towels? Harry always did that. What about the cleaning supply? My dad took the money and he would go to Sam's Club. He would go to Myers. He'd go, he'd go to Walmart. He would go all these places, Costco, to save 10 cents on a roll of toilet paper. And I'd write a check for 15 grand, you know. And he'd just shake his head. He said, I'm running all over the city trying to save 10 cents on toilet paper. You're spending money like water. And that was it. he said, you never went through the Depression, Harold. And they, they, Milton and Elizabeth took all these kids into their house. And what people don't know is this chocolate fortune was put into a trust for kids. And he built these schools so that he could take all these kids from the Depression. And in the middle, we're talking 1930, 1931, in the depths of Depression, nobody in Hersey, Pennsylvania was unemployed. Everybody that wanted to work had a job. There was, there was no poverty in Hershey. There was no unemployment. And, and, and they had this industrial school, they called it. And, and, and this, this one boy particularly, they called him Milton's boy for years. And, 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 and when Milton's boy graduated from the industrial school in Hershey, Milton gave him a $100 bill. You got to understand, some people didn't make $100 in a year. They, a $100 bill was like, you know, the unicorn, man, it's just, you just, it's a mythical beast. And he would give every one of those kids a hundred dollar bill and say, now let's see what you can do with this. And Milton Boy was a guy named William Dearden. He, he graduated from Harvard. He went on to work at a, at a fantastic, Dun and Bradstreet, if you've ever heard that name, it's a big deal on Wall Street. This is William Dearden's backyard. But right after he went to Harvard, he found out that Elizabeth and, and her husband had both died very quickly. And, and all of a sudden he gets the name. The, Hershey's in trouble. They're in trouble. We, we, we're going we're gonna to shut the school down. All the trust money's gone. And, and we're going to change the formula. I, 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 I go to Mexico in February. 
I, I, I love change of seasons. I don't like February in Michigan, just to be honest with you. So I go to Mexico for a little while. And uh, longest, shortest month of the year, but it seems to be the longest month to me. I think we're all vitamin D deficient by the time April shows up in Michigan. But we're going into rapture first because it says he's coming in the clouds. Trust me, nobody's got more overcast days than Michigan does January and February. We're going into rapture first. Just a thought. And so, I, every couple of years I fly over into Central America because I've always been fascinated with the Aztecs and the Mayans. Mayans found this pod with these big seeds about the size of almonds in there. And they took these seeds and dried them and ground them up and created this something called chocolate. And only the king could drink chocolate. But they gave it to these conquistadors, Cortez and these others that came from Spain. They stole some of it and took it back to Spain. And that's, of course, where milk chocolate comes from, or at least chocolate comes from. Milton Hershey created this formula called milk chocolate. It was an amazing. And so when William Dearden heard they're going to shut the school down and they're going to change the formula, he left Dun and Bradstreet and went back to Hershey, Pennsylvania, made the reforms that were needed, but said, we're not changing the original recipe. It's still the best chocolate in the world. Today, Hershey chocolate is, is a multi-billion dollar corporation, but it's all because of Milton's boy. Because when they saved this one orphan off the street in Philadelphia, they had no idea they were saving themselves. I read a book years ago called Washington Had No Middle Name. George Washington, of course, he has no middle name. Middle names didn't show up until the 1900s, or the 19th century, rather. And so I read this book by a lady named Patricia Hote. Washington Had No Middle Name. And it tells the story of this guy named Harry Starner. When the Second War started, their patriotism was rampant in this country. Every boy wanted to sign up. Harry Starner failed the physical, and the army wouldn't take him. But he said, okay, if I can't serve in the military, I can give blood. And so every six weeks, Harry Starner would go and give a unit of blood for the troops. Two years after that, he went back and passed the physical, and got an army. And he ended up in a little, little sliver of land called Guadalcanal and was horribly wounded in that battle and was in a Red Cross ship after the battle was over, full of holes, bleeding and dying. And they said, the only thing that's going to save you, we have to get you blood now. And they said, we don't have much left but they took what was left and they hooked it up to Harry Starner. But back then in the Second War, they always put the name of the donor on the back of the bag. And when Harry Starner woke up and he turned the blood bag around, it said this unit of blood was donated by Harry Starner. That by giving to others, he ended up saving himself. Let me tell you what I think is an amazing couple in a really messed up world. It's, it's some complicated names. Jehoiada, Jehoshaphat, Athaliah, Ahaziah. 
Ahaziah is the king. He, he, he is the son of a woman named Athaliah. Athaliah is the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. She is the most wicked grandmother you ever read about. In fact, Athaliah's mother was Jezebel. And I preached a message years ago, why doesn't anybody ever call their girl Jezebel? I've never heard a girl named Jezebel. They made their nickname, but no one ever calls their kid Jezebel. Still to this day, it has that bad connotation. Athaliah's mother hated Elisha. Hated him. She was a queen, but her husband died. Her boy becomes king. His name is Ahaziah. Ahaziah has a sister by the name of Jehoshaphat. She's married to the high priest whose name is Jehoiada. The king, Ahaziah, has a little boy by the name of Joash. He's just a couple months old. He only served one year, but after one year, he went on a state visit and they assassinated him. When his sister, who's the wife of the preacher, hears that her brother's dead, she takes off running to to the king's house because she knows what's fixing to happen because grandma wants the throne back. And she knew her mother was so wicked, but she had no idea her mother was this wicked. Athaliah does everything she can to kill every one of her grandkids. And anybody, there's a scripture, it says she killed all of the seed She killed anybody and everybody that would possibly have a claim to the throne. Jehoshaphat runs into her brother's house. And instead of trying to grab the china or or some expensive trinket from, from, from from the king's house, she grabs this little boy and gets his maid and sticks them under her mom's bed. And Athaliah, the wicked grandma, is running around Killing every possible suitor and anyone that has a possible claim to the throne. But what she doesn't understand is right under her box springs and mattress is a little grandson by the name of Joash. Jehoshaphat sneaks back while her mom's killing kids and takes this little boy with her husband into the temple. And for seven years, the only playmates this little baby has are preachers. Oh, he smells all the incense. He's got no, no, no pals. He's got no playmates. But after seven years, Athaliah was so wicked and the people complained to the high priest so much. Finally, the high priest, Jehoiada, couldn't stand it anymore. And he said, I'll show you something. And he brings this seven-year-old kid out. And I see him putting a seven and three-eighths hat, a crown, on a five-and-a-half-inch head. And hopefully the kid had big ears. Or the crown had just, I see this crown halfway over his eyes. And he said, guess who this is? This is Ahaziah's boy. This is the real king of Israel. And when they heard that, the people killed grandma and put this kid in as king and surrounded him with great uh, uh, advisors. And Joash became one of the greatest kings Israel had ever known. But, but I just see this, this, this preacher and his wife 
who, who are this amazing couple in what I think is a really messed up world. And it's a great picture of where we are today. This week, tomorrow night, I want you to pray. This week, this week, the Supreme Court, it's finally made its way. It's been in litigation for over 20 years. But this week, the Supreme Court takes on Roe versus Wade. This week, they take, since 1973, we've had a, a flaw on this nation. And the Bible said there are seven things that are an abomination. And one of them is hands that shed innocent blood. The Bible said the land will suffer because of innocent blood that's shed. We have aborted enough kids to populate Canada. But right now, the Supreme Court is six to three. Six conservative, three liberal. There is a real chance. <laughs> there is a real chance that this thing can be reversed. I'm asking you to pray. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let's stand. Lord, help us. Help us. Forgive us, Lord. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, don't save your prayer for Monday night. Pray with me right now. Oh, Jesus. I'm asking you, Father, help us. Give these people the courage. Give them the steel to be able to stand up against enormous pressure. I'm asking you, God, right now, somehow, <laughs> let, let this nation have one more revival. Let this nation have one, one more. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. While you're driving your car, I want you to pray. Come here tomorrow night and pray. I want you to just pour out your heart with it. We got a real shot at this. And boy, you talk about a fight. This one is going to be an amazing battle. Jesus' name. I like the families to come. Bays, Thompsons, we got Elizabeth and Declan. I want you to come. Amen. Give me some oil, Adrian. I like some ministers come and help me. Amen. We got some wonderful elders here. Amen. Brother Gibbs, Brother Lichtel, Andrew Hill, please come up here. Amen. And it's not just them. I could name and name and name, but I, I'm, I'll just, Jesus' name. Come, come, come on in here. Get, a, get the whole crew here. This is Declan. This is Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Who are we at here? Hi, Grandpa. You put some of that on your hands. Got another Grandpa? I can't see. Please, would you put some of this oil on your fingers? Come up here and put your hand on the mom and daddy. Man, come over here by me. I want this church to stand right now. Now, if you ever got anointed, get anointed now and pray with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a common man. I have no power of my own. Any power that we have is leased or borrowed from you. But your word says you give freely. And you said freely you have received, now freely give away. Lord, we're not in the hoarding business. We're not in the stingy business. We've never served a stingy God. We've never served a miser for a master. You've always been a God of plenty. The cup runs over. You've always been a God of abundance. You have blessed our lives, Lord. And I ask you, God, 
any good that's in us right now, take it out of us and give it to this young man and this young princess. I'm asking you, Lord, I dedicate myself to these children right now. Lord, I don't want Declan or Elizabeth to ever grow up and say, whatever happened to Pastor Hoffman? Why, why doesn't Brother Hoffman and Sister Hoffman live there? Whatever happened to Ashley's daddy? Why, why doesn't he come to church anymore? I've said this for years and I will continue to affirm it. If you see me bringing shame or reproach on the kingdom, I'm asking you to take me now because I'm not going to be Hezekiah and ask for extended time. It turns out to be my demise. I'm asking you, Lord, to bless this young boy and this young girl. I pray for this dad. I pray for these daddies. Lord, their job is not to just be their friend. They're the priests of the house. They're the priests of the house. Let them protect the house. Don't let bad stuff come into the house. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to give these men the courage, the courage to keep the house clean. I'm asking you for mom. Give these moms wisdom, wisdom beyond their years, Lord. I pray for granddad and grandmother that they would be just exactly that. It's one thing to have the plumbing to have children. It's another thing to deserve the honor of being called a father or a grandfather or a great grandfather. Those are not just titles that we deserve. They are things that we need to earn. I'm asking you, God, for great, great grandfathers. I'm asking you, Lord, for us to understand it. For grand, grand mothers, Lord. Thank you for white hair. Thank you for wrinkles. Thank you for a mortgage that's paid off. Thank you for social security. Thank you for a retirement. Thank you for people that have lived long enough to say I was young and now I'm old, but I never had to beg and I've never ever had to plead. And God always took care of me. I'm asking you, God, right now. We got nations in these arms right now. We got nations in these arms. I don't know how much time we have left, but I am asking you, God, with what time you would grace us with, that this boy's gonna grow up and have a family. This girl's gonna grow up and have a family. If we could just hang on to the families, we can have a great church. If we could just keep the kids and the grandkids and the nieces and the nephews and the aunts and the uncles and grandma and grandpa and dad, if we just could keep the family. dedicate this church to you for these children. Dear God, don't let these kids be raised in a church of division. Don't let these kids be raised in a church of cliques and schisms and fighting and foolishness. I'm asking you, God, and all the time they're growing up, I want them to regularly see people baptized in your name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I want them to hear the testimonies, divine healing, and marriages being mended, and minds being repaired. I want that to be normal. I want them to hear that again and again and again and again and again. Jesus, Holy Lord, right now, put a hedge round about them. Put a foundation beneath them. And put a canopy over them. And protect these amazing, amazing blessings 
these arrows that we've got in our hands right now. Bless this family. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. Let's thank the Lord together. Let's thank the Lord together. Now, there are some people who collect a lot of different stuff, and that's fine. Whatever you collect, is, that's your business. Me, I collect Bibles and shoes. <laughs> that's right. I have shoes of great preachers that are dead and gone. I have Bibles. My dad's Bible. My grandmother's Bible. The people of Australia recently gave me the Bible from an amazing man named Ted Slack, who can't talk about that I'll cry but I got his Bible I buried Ken Ridkep's daddy last week I wish you could have seen his Bible every page in that Bible was covered with tiny red every page I had no idea he had spent that much time in the world my sister died when I was a little kid I only have one thing of my sister's her Bible that she got when she was dedicated. So, Elizabeth, give you your first Bible. Eklund, first Bible. Look at you, you look like a million bucks. <laughs> this is a good way to end. Why don't you come up here and give these people your blessing. And thank you so much for coming. One last time, Lord Jesus, we are humble. We're humble, Lord. My hair's gray. My eyes don't work that good anymore. <laughs> but I haven't forgotten. You've been so good to me. I'm so grateful for a godly daddy and for a wonderful mother, for a holy grandmother. I was so fortunate, God, to be surrounded with these amazing people. Ask you, God, that these children be surrounded with the same protection and godliness that I was surrounded with. In Jesus' name we pray and call it done. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Amen.